Amen. Lord, we thank you that there is restoration in the name of Jesus, that you will, every single time, no matter what we've done, no matter how far away we've gone, Lord, that by your grace, that you will restore us when we come simply and humbly before you. Confess what you already know, that we're sinners, that we've blown it. And we just thank you for your incredible grace, Lord. It's far beyond our understanding. We can't grasp it, but we thank you for it. Lord, as we go to your word right now, we ask that you would be our teacher. Lord, encourage and strengthen us, Lord, to know that it's in our weakness that you are made strong. Lord, as we look at this example in the word tonight of Gideon, that a man who started as a a coward and afraid became a mighty man of God, and Lord, only because he finally obeyed. And Lord, I pray that we too would be like Gideon. Lord, you're not looking for ability, but availability. You're not looking for great courage in ourselves, but great submission and faith in you. And so Lord, we ask that you be our teacher tonight. Minister to every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 7, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Again, I want to remind you, I know Bill announced it. I want to encourage you with something. You know, every time, and this is to me one of the big ones, whenever there's a a movie or a a major book that's read by a lot of people comes out, to me it's an opportunity to point people to the truth. Now some people struggled with the passion of the Christ, and there are some things in there maybe they struggle with, but here's the thing. You know, a pastor friend of mine said, the movie may be bronze or silver, but it's a golden opportunity to point people to Jesus. Amen? And I believe the same thing is true when this is a full frontal attack and just flat out blasphemy and lies being told about our Savior in this movie that may be seen by 60, 70 million people. I don't know how many people are going to see it, but a lot. And you and I need to be equipped to refute the lie. We need not only study to know the truth, but we need to be able to refute the lie. And I want to encourage you, I already watched the DVD of him sharing this at another church. I was absolutely blessed and encouraged. He's not only going to refute the movie, but he's going to back up the, the, just the inerrancy of Scripture, which is attacked in the movie, the deity of Christ, which is attacked in the movie, and everything that's attacked, he's going to give you the biblical background. I promise you, you will absolutely be blessed. So I want to encourage you to not only come Sunday night, but invite people that you know, because it is a, a hot topic right now, the whole Da Vinci Code, and we're blessed to be able to have him on this Sunday right after the movie comes out. You know, we need to be, again, equipped to minister to others. All right, that being said, Judges 7. We're going to continue to look again at this, this picture of this cycle. Seven times we see it in this book over a 400-year period of time where people fall away from God. They fall into sin or they jump into it, as I should say. And then as they're sinning and they're, they, they reap the consequences of it and then they're in the, under bondage and then eventually they get to the point where they see their need for God again and they cry out to Him. Well, as we get to chapter 7, we're going to continue to look at a man we began to look at uh, last week by the name of Gideon. And we'll get to him in a moment, but I titled the message tonight, if you're a note taker, Small Enough for God to Use. Small Enough for God to to use. You know, we have this thing in the church today, I hear people say it all the time, if this big international movie star got saved, wow, what would God do with that person? You know, if this rock star got saved, if this charismatic, powerful politician got saved, if this famous athlete got saved, look out, man, so many people would get saved. Can I tell you something? When there's too much of us, nobody's getting saved. The point is that we need to die to ourselves and get out of the way. It's when we're small that God is glorified. And we're looking for the big personality to draw people unto Christ. when We need to just let Christ draw people unto Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the the only celebrity in Christianity. And so while we certainly should pray for the salvation of these people we look at as being influential, if we think the key to reaching the world with the gospel is more powerful and influential people on God's side, we've missed it completely. God doesn't need man's help, we need His. God doesn't need our help, we need His. And the answer isn't more powerful and influential and charismatic men and women, but more broken and desperate and spirit-filled men and women. That's the answer. And so... 
This is a a picture here in this chapter that's going to show us that God uses those who are broken and desperate, not those who are prideful and arrogant and uh, gifted from the world's perspective. While we do have an active part in God's perfect will, not only for our own lives but those around us, but contrary to what the world may believe, true success is not based on our fortitude, our unction, our boldness, our strength, or our positive mental attitude. I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. <laughs> if you're new here, I had a guy at a, a sales conference back when I was in sales and they had this motivational speaker and he told us that that was his key to success. He gets up in the morning and says, I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. I say it to myself 50 times every morning. And he wanted us all to get up and say it. And this guy was one of the most godless people I've ever heard speak in my life. And I thought, boy, if you don't get saved, you'll be sizzling. But there won't be no power and no enthusiasm. So the point is not us coming up with this unction ourselves and convincing ourselves to be powerful. That's not the answer. The answer is being broken before God and humble and desperate and submitted to Him. Because it's when we're humble that God can use us. It's when we're humble that He lifts us up. It's when we're broken that His light can shine through us to the world around us. It's in our desperation that we realize that without Him we can do nothing and we hold tightly to Him as our only source of hope and help and victory. It's only through humility and brokenness and desperation that we can live lives fully submitted to Him. It's out of God's great love for us and the desire that we walk in intimate fellowship with Him that He will bring us to a place of humility and brokenness. And desperation. So we're seeing these cycles as we've been talking about. Resting in the Lord. And then, oh, well, we're resting in the Lord. It's pretty comfortable here, so we don't need to deliver anymore. Get rid of Him. They die. And now that person that was pointing us to God, well, we don't need them. We'll be like the world. we become like the world. God's divine judgment comes. And now because of our rebellion, we're separated from God. And there's a need for restoration. Well, last week we began to look at the man Gideon, like I talked about. And this is like the most unlikely deliverer. Because as we talked about, you think of Gideon, if you've, if you've not spent a lot of time in the Bible, you think of him and you think, oh, well, yeah, man, that guy rocks. He's in Hebrews 11. He's in God's hall of faith. He must have been like, you know, one of the guys. But when you look at his life closely, not so much. As we saw last week, he started off hiding. His name means warrior, but he wasn't much of one. And he was hiding from the enemy instead of boldly proclaiming the truth. But praise God for his grace that he would take this man because he called him, if you'll remember, a mighty man of valor before he did anything. He was hiding and God called him a mighty man of valor. You know why? God doesn't see you where you are. He sees you where you're going to be. And I'm so glad for that, aren't you? He sees the person you are. He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And he sees the completed work. Gideon was a man who started off as somewhat of a faithless coward, hiding from the enemy, doubting God's word, asking God to prove his promises. Remember that last week? Remember this. Setting a fleece out before God? Not so much. I heard people say that and they act like it's a real spiritual thing. Well, I'm putting a fleece out before God. So you're doubting his word. Is that what you're telling me? Well, no, I'm... I'm seeking to know His will. Well, if you know His word, you know His will. Amen? And we don't need to take the word of God and put it to a test. The word of God has passed all the tests. And so, he was one who had to see before he would believe, and yet the Lord uses this man mightily and calls him a mighty man of valor. He's going to go from being a coward to a conqueror in this chapter, and then sadly next week we're going to see him end as a compromiser. But you know what's amazing is he still ends up in God's hall of faith. And that should be an encouragement to every single one of us here to know that we can blow it and God still loves us and God can still use us. Aren't you glad? So in review of last week, real quick, from doubter to deliverer, he asked four questions of God. He didn't ask these questions out loud, but the way he acted, he asked these four questions. And I encourage you to get the tape. These kinds of questions are on your heart. They're always free. CDs are free. And his first question was, God, does God really care about us? And we answered that question with three things. He cares enough to discipline you, to draw you back into fellowship. He cares enough to give you His Word, to remind you all He's done for you. And He cares enough for you to come to you personally. 
in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened to Gideon. Jesus showed up in Judges chapter 6 and ministered to him. Then the question he asked was, does God know what he's doing? Well, I think we better know the answer to that question. God absolutely knows what he's doing. And his heart was, why would he want to use someone like me? But you know what? God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And you plus God is a majority. His third question is, will God take care of me? Gideon fearfully stepped out. He was afraid, but God protected him. And his actions became fruitful, ministering not only to his father, whose heart was changed, but also 32,000 men who decided to follow him into battle. And then lastly, does God keep his promises? And that's where he set the fleeces out. Now this week, if you're taking notes, small enough for God to use us. Learning, learning to live by faith. Small enough for God to use us, learning to live by faith. Three points. God will test our faith. He's going to test the faith of Gideon, and he tests your faith and mine. God encourages our faith, and then God honors or blesses our faith. So he tests our faith that it might grow, that we might come to a point where we realize that we desperately need him. He encourages our faith that we might overcome the fear of life. And then lastly, he honors our faith by blessing the things that we put our hands to as we walk in faith. So let's begin in verse 1 of Judges 7. Small enough for God to use, God tests our faith. And here's how he tests it. And I bet some of you, I guarantee some of you will recognize this in your own life. He will test your faith by taking away all the resources that you need to be able to do it on your own. He'll just do, you know what, Here, here's an idea. You're going to trust in yourself. How about I just take everything away from you? And now what are you going to do? Oh, that bank account you trusted in, let's just eliminate that. Oh, that health of yours, so let's just take care of your health for a while. And let's do things that, again, we look at those things as being, oh man, God doesn't care. No, He cares about you enough that He will take away the things that take your eyes off of Him, and He'll do it so that your eyes will get back on Him. And he'll also do it so that your faith in him will increase because when Jesus is all you have, you realize that Jesus is all you need. And so we need to learn to trust in the Lord that we might grow in faith in him as he tests our faith. Verse 1, then Jeroboam, Jeroboam. Now if you guys remember from last week, that name was given to Gideon by his father. Now why was that name given to Gideon by his father? Because Praise God, Gideon started off kind of a coward, kind of hiding, kind of wimping out. But then God challenged him and told him, I want you to go and I want you to go into your father's house, time of famine. Remember the Midianites have been coming in and taking all the food away. Remember that? Taking all their oxen, taking all their sheep, taking everything from them. And now all of a sudden, God's telling him, I want you to go do this. I want you to go and, and tear down the altar, your dad's altar. It's up on a high place. And then you know that wooden image next to it? Chop it into small pieces and put it on a real altar you build to the Lord and use it for firewood to sacrifice an animal unto me. And by the way, do two of your dad's animals. And he's, you know, this is probably not going to be real popular with dad. It's like wrecking both his cars, right? These are like his most valued possessions and he's going to go in and he's going to tear it all down. Now, if you remember when Gideon does this, the people are not happy. Guys, when you walk in obedience to the Lord, there are going to be people who are not happy. The men of the city wanted to kill Gideon. Why? Because he obeyed God's command. Increased faithfulness and obedience often results in greater persecution. And Gideon's bold act did impact his dad. Because if you remember, his dad said they wanted to kill him. He said, you know what? Why don't we do this? If Baal's really God, let Baal take care of him. You know, if, ba if Baal's going to be the one who was offended, let Baal fight his own battles. And if Baal's God, then Baal will take care of him. And so Jerub Baal, or Baal, means challenger of Baal, or one who fights with Baal. That became Gideon's name. One who fights with Baal. That's not a bad name. I kind of like that. One who fights against pornography. One who fights against wickedness. One who fights against abortion. One who fights against... You know, these things that cause harm. And this was his new name because he made a stand for God. Then it says, And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Harad. All the people who were with him. He now had 32,000 people willing to follow him into battle 
where before he was a man who was afraid to stand up on his own. How did it happen? He stepped out in faith. It's amazing when someone steps out in faith how people start following. It's amazing how there's initiative of one person can impact a whole office. By the way, came to my mind, be praying. The youth pastor at Calvary San Jose, I just got a call from him right before I came over here. He's going to be speaking at Oak Grove High School tomorrow where I, I had a Christian club I taught for years there, so I have a burden for that school. But they invited him in, and they're going to talk about all the different world's religions in a big assembly. And they're going to let him get up and preach the gospel at Oak Grove High School tomorrow at 9 o'clock. So be praying for him. His name's, well, actually, he's a new youth pastor just taken over for a guy who left. His name's Danny Sanchez. Just pray for him. He's fired up. He's excited. And I said, bro, I said, can I give you one word of encouragement, man? Don't dial it down one bit. Bring it hard. Bring it strong. Bring it true. Bring it all. Amen? They invited you. Amen? You don't got to water nothing down. They might not invite you back, but that's okay. Let's bring it while we can. And the point is here that when somebody will stand up and say, you know what? This is what God would have us to do. It's amazing how all the closet Christians start coming out of their shell a little bit. And that's what's happening here. All of a sudden, there's some people willing to walk behind Gideon. Because Gideon, by faith, went out and did what the Lord told him and tore the idols down. So now the people were in camp beside him. And I love this because he had been called by God to do things. He had questioned the Lord. He had, God had taken the fleece and made, made it wet, then made it dry, and the ground around it wet, and he had done all these actions to show him that he truly is God, but now it was time for him to respond and do something about it. Guys, maybe that's a word for you tonight. You've been, you know, the pew potato long enough. It's time to do something about it. This is Gideon. You know, it's like, okay, I've shown you everything. Now get about it. Sometimes we're praying too much about things instead of doing something about it. We should pray about everything. But you know what? When we pray, that's not an excuse to do nothing else. Prayer should promote an action out of our hearts and in our lives. To start doing, to put feet to our faith, to dig a well. It says they're at the well of Harad. Now that's Gideon Springs today. Now do we load those pictures? Do we know if they're on there? Hopefully they'll come up. Uh, Gideon Springs... That's not it. But Gideon Springs today is, it's a well that comes right out of a rock. That's it. The water comes right out of the rock right there. It still does. It's probably a lot smaller than it was then, if you want to go on to the next one. We got more loaded there. And you'll get a picture of it. But there's a mountain behind them, and they're sitting at this well. And they get up early in the morning, and they go down to this well where the water comes right up out of the rock. And it's at that place that God is going to test them. But this is the place they've come together. We'll talk more about it as we move on through the text. You can just leave that up there if you want. The word harad means trembling or terrified. And we're going to see that it's going to describe most of the men that have gone out with him. Now they're going to start going out. It sounds really good sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? It'll be amazing. You'll have people say, hey, we're going to go door-to-door witnessing. Who wants to sign up? And you get like 40 people sign up, and then the day you're supposed to go, like four people come. Because it sounds really good in theory until you got to do it. It sounds really good, but oh, wait a minute. Uh, we're really going to go do that? People are going to open the door and scream at us and stuff like that? Yeah, that could happen. And the point is that a lot of them feel really good about walking with him until it's going to cost them something. Now, This is a time that they came, they're resting, they're getting ready because they know they're going to go out and fight the Midianites. Look what it says. And camp beside the valley of Harad, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The camp of the Midianites was 135,000 strong. So at this point, you got 32,000 Israelites and 135,000 Midianites. Now I have an idea that the guys who were signing up didn't quite know how big the obstacle was going to be. Now they get to Gideon Springs, the well of Harad. They're sitting there, the water's there. They look out and they're looking down and they see 135,000 guys. And they're camels. And they're like, you know, I was kind of signing up, but I thought, not so much. 
I thought they were going to have like eight people. And, you know, now I'm looking at the size of the opposition and, you know, no. And so we're going to see that this this bold army is not going to be bold for very long. And we're going to also see, though, that God's going to use it. They've been chosen, the Midianites, as a righteous judge against Israel. Remember, they were the cousins of the Israelites through Abraham's second wife, Keturah. Six sons came from Keturah. They went out, were sent away by Abraham to keep them from harassing Isaac. Well, guess what? All these years later, that's exactly what was happening. So the 32,000 Israelites are looking out at 135,000, unable to oppose them for seven years. Remember, for seven years, they'd grown all their food. Who came in and took it all? Midianites. So the last seven years, whenever they saw the Midianites, they went, oh, man. Been working all year to make my food. They come in, they're taking it all away. And now I've got to face 135,000 of them all at once? We didn't even fight it when they came by our farm and took all of our food. How are we going to fight all of them at once? So you're seeing here this change of behavior and attitude. Now it's, it's interesting, the hill of Morah, or Moray, is a hill located in the Jezreel Valley. For those of you guys who know anything about Israel, that's the plain of Megiddo where Armageddon will take place. And guess what? There's going to be an army a lot bigger than 135,000 mounted up there. And how are they going to do? Not so well. Because the Lord's going to come back and it's going to be game over. And I believe we get a little picture of that here in the battle that's about to take place. So this is going to be this place of water and refreshment coming out of the rock. This ominous enemy right there as they're being refreshed, getting ready to go out into battle. A true test of Israel's faith and Gideon's faith. Their faith in God. What did God promise them? I'm going I'm to give you the battle. He already told them. You go fight them, you're going to win. I already won the battle for you. You just got to show up. Now that's a, that's a pretty sweet deal. You show up, you win. I promise. I'm with you. Just show up. You got 32,000 guys there. Now here's the thing, guys. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it's again, as I said, it's one thing to say you have faith and it's another thing to live it out in the face of the enemy. Verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now wait a minute. We got 32,000, they got 135,000. For every one of us, there's four of them. I've already got guys over here teeth chattering, wanting to quit pretending like they're not feeling well and you're telling me i got too many guys lord are you sure they got too many guys we don't have enough guys why don't you convert some of them and bring them over on our side but instead the lord's going no no you know if you if i let you do this with thirty-two thousand, you guys are just going to think that you guys are really good at fighting You're just going to come back and go, oh yeah, man, we had a four to one against us. You should have seen us out in the battlefield. We just tore them up. Don't even mess with us. You know what I mean? And he said, you know what? That's that's just too many guys. So I want to make sure that I'm the one who gets the glory instead of Israel. I want to make sure it's not the army, but it's the Lord. And so Israel and their their soldiers might have been tempted to do that, and we're not to ever touch the glory, you guys. If God does something great, God gets all the glory. All of it. You get none of it. People get mad at me sometimes when they come up and thank me for a message when I won't let... I'll say, praise the Lord. Look, oh, you can take thanks. Um, I can't. Sorry. No, I can't. Why? Because if he did it, then why am I getting anything to do with it? Amen? And if it's a mess, I did it, so blame me. It's not his fault. Amen? If it's good, it's him. If it's bad, it's me. And the same is true always. God alone gets all the glory for anything good. And so we're to touch not the glory. And God wanted the odds to be so bad that no man could ever say it was him. So he says, I want everybody to know that the victory came from me. And this could only happen if he took the resources away that they needed to trust in themselves. You know what I need to do? I need to take so many people away, they'll know... And they'll be desperate for me. He's going to reduce the army. For you and I, he might reduce your bank account, as I said. 
You might lose your job. Your health, health might be failing. Whatever God needs to do to get our eyes on Him. Being brought to the end of our resources and our ability to get the job done so that we trust in Him. We're forced to trust in Him and to cry out to Him. And then when the, the victory comes, we'll give the glory to Him. If we really believe the principle of not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, then how small we are won't matter. Guys, it's not the smallness of our bank account or the smallness of our army. It's the greatest, greatness of our God. And that's what doesn't change. That's the unchangeable part. So here's what he says. Now therefore, verse 3, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him depart, turn and depart at run, once from Mount Gilead. All right, guys, there's 32,000 guys. Now they've seen the enemy. They're sitting there looking down, 135,000 guys and a bunch of camels. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for this. No, I thought I was fighting Pee Wee Herman, not Mike Tyson. I'm not interested. And so what happens is they just don't want to go. So he says, okay, if you're afraid, go home. And you would think that that would like, you know, for most guys, if, okay, any of you guys who are wimpy and afraid, you can leave. I mean, I ain't leaving. Guess what? They left. Look what it says. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So 22,000 guys left. Here's Gideon. They're all just walking by him. Lord! It was already four to one. Where are you going? And they're just walking away. I'm surprised 10,000 guys stayed. So now it's 13 and a half to one. Right? And you would think, well, man, this is overwhelming. But Lord, okay, Lord, we're just going to have to... But fear, anxiety, and worry are the opposite of faith. And these guys didn't trust in the Word of God or what He had said. And they just started to leave. And the Lord made a way of escape for those who were seeing the enemy firsthand. He said, if you're afraid, go home. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. These guys really have faith in God? What's the answer? No. It's one thing to have a faith in theory. It's another thing to live it out. Christians are either overcome because of their unbelief or they're overcomers because of their faith. We're either overcome because of our unbelief or we're overcomers because of our faith. Which one describes you? In, in Hebrews 11, describing Hebrews 11, a pastor, Vance Hafner, said this, Because Moses was a man of faith, he was able to see the invisible, choose the imperishable, and do the impossible. Can God still do that? You better believe it. And you know, in the, he, in the Hall of Fame, in Hebrews chapter 11, don't turn there. I just want to read something to you, because I love this. It's one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, Hebrews 11. And I'm just going to read you verse 30 to 38. You can look at it later. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also David and Samuel and all the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of their weakness they were made strong. They became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, and yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and torment, of whom the world was not worthy. That's faith. Those are people God used mightily. Why? Because they had faith in God. By faith, all those things happened. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And 22,000 people didn't really have faith. They talked about it, but they were unwilling to live it out. While faith doesn't depend on how we feel or what we see or what may happen, it will, it will be reflected in our actions. And we can't rely on, rely on the faith of another. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say faith is like a toothbrush. Everybody ought to have their own. You ought to be using it all the time. It's not a good idea to use someone else's. 
And the truth is that as Christians, we all have, we got to have our own faith, our own intimate relationship with the Lord. And if we're relying on someone else's, well, you got a lot of faith. I'm going to, can you do this for me? You know what? You do it. Amen. Does God love you just as much as he loves Billy Graham? What's the answer? You better believe it. So this test is going to reveal the depths of their faith as it reveals the depths of ours. God often brings us through the valley of testing before allowing us to reach the mountain peak of victory. We've got to go through the test first in preparation for what's on the other side. Here's the valley of testing. Both Gideon and his 32,000 man army are getting ready to go into battle. But Gideon, this once cowardice, fearful man, needing numerous miracles, watches 22,000 of his guys leave. He had 32,000. He wasn't ready to go, remember? Well, uh, let me do a fleece now. Let me think. Prove it. Well, okay, let's do it again, but switch it. All right, I guess I have to go. And now, 22,000 guys just left. So he's already 13 and a half to 1. He's just realizing, man, this isn't good. Look at verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, still too many. You still got too many people. He's like, Lord, what math class do you belong to? Are you paying attention? Look how many guys. We got, no, we got 10,000 guys left. They got 135,000. Lord, we're in trouble. When we take a physical or temporal perspective, we look at things from that, in that way. And you know what? We think, I can't do this. It's impossible. How much more can I take? How much more can I take? I've been through enough. How much more can I take? God will never give you more than you can take. Because He'll always be with you in the midst of it. Amen? And I've, seen some, I've met people that, man, they've gone through a lot more than I have. But you know what? I'm blessed to see their faith. It encourages me. Some people say, I, I don't want to pray for the gift of faith. A lot of stuff will happen. I'm not, I'm, I don't, huh? No thanks. I just want a little bit of faith. Because I don't want a lot of trials. But you need to understand something. That we may see one trial is more difficult than another, but in God's eyes they're all the same. God can get rid of a million dollars worth of debt just as easy as a dollar. God can get rid of cancer as easy as a cold. Can't he do that? So we look at things from our perspective. We see it as overwhelming. God says, that's nothing for me. It's not the greatness of our obstacle, as I said before, but the greatness of our God that matters. It's our weakness that He is made strong. And then He says, But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water. It was this water right here. And again, it flowed out. It was much fuller, but it was coming out of the rock. He says, I will test them from there. Then it will be that, I, that whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whoever I say, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. God is the one who calls people into ministry. God is the one who chooses, calls, does it, period. Amen. And so he says, you bring them here, bring them by, I'll tell you which ones are going with you. And so I'm going to test them. The word for test there is the word that is used for refining metal. You know, you heat metal up and they separate the dross from the pure metal. And he's saying, I'm going to refine them. I'm going to put them through the fire. I'm going to test them. And, if, and then I'm going to tell you which ones are going to stay. And the ones that are dross, I'm taking out of here. Verse 5. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. So the men went down to the water and they didn't even know they were going to be tested. They just went down there to get a drink. You know what? I believe this happens all the time in our lives. We don't even know, but we're being tested. Here's an opportunity to stand up for God. And we don't even see it. And sometimes this can be a really small thing. I had a past, I know of a pastor that when he interviews people, he likes to take them to lunch and he likes to have the other guy drive just so he can see how he drives and if his car's neat. Guy doesn't even know he's on a. He's got it getting tested. He gets in his car and you know it's filled with garbage and the guy's cutting people off on the road and well maybe not so much you know what I mean. And the point is that sometimes we're being tested and I find that true in my own life. 
And I told you this, one of the tests that seems to happen to me a lot, I'll be in the drive-thru with my kids and they always want to give me a change for a 20 when I give them a 5. This has happened so many times I can't even tell you. And every time it happens, I'm like, okay, here's another test. I get to show to my children, I say, oh, by the way, you, I gave you a 5. And sometimes they argue with me. No, you gave me a 20. I'm like, dude, I only had a 5. Take your money back. The point is, we sometimes go through life and there's little things like that. Our children are with us. And here's an op- you know, the officer pulls you over and here you can lie. Right? How fast were you going? Uh, uh, 40. Right? Your kids are like in the back seat. I saw him going 80. He's lying. And the point is, that we get tested sometimes. We don't even know. These guys come down to the water. They don't realize this is a test. They're just thirsty. And they're going to get something to drink. Now, there are two different ways that people drink the water. And by the way, the test for you and I, it might be that new unreasonable boss. God put him there for a reason, amen? It might be the car breaking down, how do you respond, the car accident you get to, whatever it might be. This, this was a test from God. And so some of them would go up to this water and they would literally, because it was up a lot higher, they would just stick their face in it. Get all their hands and knees and just stick their face in and drink. And then there were some others who lapped it like a dog where they would pick it up with their hand and hold it up to their mouth and drink it. Now, we're going to see that 300 people picked it up with their hand and drank it. And 9,700 people just stuck their face in the water and started drinking. So he said, I want you to take the ones that stick their face in the water. They're just drinking. He goes, oh, by the way, you over there. You over there. Why? Just go over there. How about you? Oh, you're drinking with your hand. You go over there. Got 300 on this side, 9,700 on this side. Which side do you think God's going to choose to keep with Gideon? Think he's going to keep 9,700? Not so much. And so it says there, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go. Every man to his place. 32,000 just got down to 300 real quick. It was 4 to 1. Then it was 13 to 1. Guess what? It's 450 to 1 now. For every one of our guys, they got 450. Now, we'll know it's God. Amen? Nobody's bragging about nothing now. We'll know that this is the Lord. Now, there's many thoughts why people think that God chose those who put their hand to their mouth. Some believe that those who lapped with their hands were those who were diligent. You know, they got the water, and they put it up to their mouth, and they just want to make sure, you know, hey, the Midianites are right there. How do we know someone weren't sneaking up on the rocks? And so they were being diligent and drinking the water and keeping their eyes looking out. Others have thought that they were so decrepit and broken down they couldn't get their face down in the water. So they had to reach and get the water and put it up to their mouth because they were too tore up to get in the water. Now, I don't know which one's correct. Now, I ha- now it, would, it, would, it would be kind of cool if it was the decrepit guys that stayed. Because then you'd have like not only 300 guys, but the 300 jacked up guys. You know what I mean? But I don't think that's the case. You know why? Because he said it's a test. It's a test. I believe it actually is the more diligent guys. You know why? Because he told them, first of all, he told all the guys who were afraid to go home, right? So that was a weakness, not a strength. Go home. Now, 9,700 guys who were self-indulged. I'm thirsty. Right? Facing the water. Got no idea what's going on around me. Oh, this water's good. Right? But the guys who were paying attention, and the Lord said, okay, 300 guys, unafraid, trusting in my word, and focused on what's going on around them, I'll take those 300 guys and beat 135,000 of the worlds right now. Now, you know what I like about that number? That's about the number we have here on church on Sundays. I like that. 300, hopefully, well-fed, attentive people. Amen? And you know what? Santa Cruz County's got... 135,000 or more? 
Could we not reach out to them the same way? Amen? Amen. Isn't our God great enough to do that? And so these guys are bringing the water to their mouths. He says, okay, these are your guys. Their guys are going to go with you. And again, I tend to believe they are those who are vigilant. In regards to temptation, the Lord says, watch and pray. I believe those are the kind of guys they were. In regards to the coming of Christ, it says, take heed, watch and pray. Later, in regards to battling the enemy, Peter would say, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary is a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And these 300 guys are ready, because God's got his hand on them. You plus God is the majority. Took away so many resources... They could no longer trust in themselves. Now they were small enough for God to use. You know what? By 300 men, 3,000 men, 3 million men, or 3 men, to God it's all the same. You know why? Because God's on that side. And God's on that side. It's enough. Verse 8. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. Now, if I'm going to battle, I'm thinking a musical instrument is like the last thing I'm bringing. There's 135,000 of them. I'm bringing a trumpet. Probably a shofar. Now look what it says here. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained these 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So 9,700 guys go storming off. Remember again, he had 32,000 and he had to have a fleece before he would even go. You think God's getting his attention a little bit? He had to have a fleece of 32,000, and then God said, okay, how about 10? Oh, how about 300 now? Gideon, I got your attention. Trust me, not your army. And now they were small enough to be used by God. So, small enough to be used by God. God tests our faith. He takes away the resources we need to put our trust in ourselves, brings us to the place where we can only put our trust in Him. But watch this. God does encourage our faith. It says in the verse, second half of verse 8, Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So they're up on a, a, a place where they can look down and see the 135,000. And then the Lord says in verse 9, It happened on the same night, the Lord said to him, Who is that right there, by the way? That's Jesus. Jesus said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered, them, delivered it into your hand. What's he telling him to do? Take your 300 guys and go down there and tear them up. Have we seen this in the Old Testament a lot? All the time. Okay, you're in Canaan. I know there's giants over there. Go get them. I told you I'd take care of it. Go get them. Uh, Not so much. They're kind of big. I don't want to. Okay, wander in the wilderness for 40 years until you're all dead. That was a good choice. Here's the point. We do that with God. We can be real brave until we show up and Goliath is in front of us. Until the giants are there. Or until there's 135,000 people on the other side. I'll make a stand for God as long as nobody opposes me. Well, that's not a stand. That's church. (laughs) Amen? we got to make a stand. So we see here the camp is below them. He says, I want you to go down and take them. But the Lord knows his heart. He already knows his heart. He had told him three times that he would give him the battle. He had done three miracles. Remember the fire and the rock? Remember that? And then the fleece twice. Should have been strong in his faith. He should have been unafraid to go down there. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. But after his army shrank, he's saying, I'm not so sure. And hey, I have to confess you. I got 300 guys. I don't know that storming down the hill at 135,000 makes a whole lot of sense to me. Can you imagine that? Oh, you know, right now, 135,000 guys going, are you out of your mind? We're going to kill you. Well, you know what he does? The Lord already knows his heart. Look at verse 10. But if you're afraid to go down, well, I think that's going to be the case. If you're afraid to go down, go down in the camp with Pura, your servant, that you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. So he was afraid to take his army down and fight the battle. The Lord knew that was the case. So he said, you know what? I'm going to encourage you. If you are afraid, go down to the outskirts. Take your servant with you and listen to what they're going to say. God's going to bring a divine appointment to encourage Gideon. Look at verse 12. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. 
and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. That's a lot. So we know from chapter 8, there's 135,000 men. There's all these camels there. And Gideon, you know, they didn't have cameras back then. So Gideon, you know, depending on, he could probably walk right into their camp. But we know he goes to the outskirts. God brings a divine appointment. There's going to be two men there standing, having a conversation. And God is going to use it to be an encouragement to him. Look at verse 13. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. And he said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to the tent and stuck it, struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Now barley in those days was only eaten by the poorest of people. And so this thing that was eaten by the most poor and humble came down the hill and hit the tent of Midian and it collapsed. Now look what it says here. The man, then his companion, the guy he's talking to, tell me this isn't a divine appointment, answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of who? Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. You go down there, you see two guys out of 135,000. They're talking to each other. One guy had a dream about you. He tells the other guy the dream. The other guy says, oh, that means they're going to come down here and wipe us all out. And Gideon goes, okay, I guess God is on our side. God is, you know, God is so gracious, isn't he? He already told him three times. He already did three miracles. And Gideon's like, well, I'm not so sure. God says, okay, let me tell you again. Because I'm a faithful God. God helps our weak faith. And he used this man's dream to show Gideon one more time that he was faithful and he was in control. And again, I would hope that I'd, I'd be braver, but I can, can't you imagine me and Gideon? Got 300 guys. Lord, are you sure? Can't you see that? Move to Africa, sell all I have. Are you sure? Lord, is that really what you have for me? And he wanted to know. And again, while it was somewhat of a faithless act, praise God that he is a faithful God. Some people say, should I ask God for more faith? Yes. I've had people ask me that. Is it okay to ask God for more faith? Yes. Remember there was a man in Matthew 9 that came, a father, and came and said, you know, my child, I want to see him healed. And then he, his end of his prayer was, Lord, give me more faith. Help my unbelief that I might believe that you can heal him. Lord, that's a good prayer for every one of us. Verse 15. And so it was when Gideon heard, these, heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he what? He worshipped. The word for worship there was he fell flat on his face before God. Praise God that while he had been faithless, when he heard the truth, he responded to it. Amen? When he heard the word of God and it was spoken to him, you know, when he heard it, he heard this divine appointment. When we're weak in our faith, we often make our enemies stronger than they are. And now we heard the truth that even the enemy knew that God was going to bring victory. Guys, one of the things we do when we're weak in our faith is we make our enemy greater than he is. Is Satan a great foe? The answer is yes. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Are you greater than Satan? What's the answer? Of course you are, because God's in you. Amen? And too often we think, oh, Satan, he's so great. Oh, well, Satan, defeated foe. Amen? You know what? He's more afraid of me than I am of him. How about that? You know why? Because Jesus lives in me. And not in him. And we too often walk around, oh, Satan. Well, yeah, again, we, need to have, you know, we don't address Satan. Let God take care of him. We're not to address him. Amen? We don't, I don't address Satan. I don't talk to Satan. I don't need to. I'm talking to God. God, you take care of it. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Satan comes and accuses us. Have you met my dad? <laughs> Let's go talk to my dad. He'll take care of you. We need to remember, and again, we'll look at an illness, or we'll look at our finances, or anything, and we'll say, man, it's just too huge. But remember how great God is. It's when we're faithless that we make those things greater than they really are. We need to be small enough for God to use. Learning to live by faith. God tests our faith. Then God encourages our faith. And lastly, God honors our faith. Look at verse, the second half of 15. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. 
Amen, Gideon. He got it. Before he was like, I don't know. Fleece. Another fleece. Lord, I don't know. I can't do it. Go down to the valley. Now he's like, okay, I got it. He comes back and says, guys, get up. We got him. Now, I don't know. I wonder how those 300 guys felt. Because they weren't down there to hear this thing, right? But Gideon just said, hey, God's on our side. Let's go. And praise the Lord that God can use the faith of one man to impact many others. His fear became faith. His cowardice became courage. Why? Because the Lord had won the victory. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, the Lord will deliver them. What does he say? The Lord has. He gets it. He's got an eternal perspective. Now he's going to walk by faith. Look at 16 to 18. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand and empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. I'm thinking, what are you doing? I got a trumpet and a pitcher with a torch in it. And we're going to go fight 135,000 guys with weapons. You talk about faith. Amen? So he gives them the stuff, and then he says in verse 17, he said to them, look at me and do likewise. And watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. You know what happens when we're walking by faith? We can tell others to follow our example. We can live so sold out for God, we can say, do as I do. We can say to our kids, do as I do. And this is where Gideon's become because of his faith has increased. And then he says, when I blow the trumpet and all who are with me, then you also blow your trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now, this is not him being arrogant, but he knew what, it, what was the dream about. Gideon's going to come and he's going to wipe out the camp. And I have an idea they told more than just each other about this dream. And so he's going to come down there and play in these very fears that they have because God now has given him wisdom as he's walking by faith, verse 19 and 20. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Middle watch is 10 to 2 a.m. Just as they had posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, and they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried the sword of the Lord and the sword, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now the Midianite soldiers are all sleeping. You gotta understand something that everybody who blew a trumpet usually was leading a whole company of people. So if you heard one trumpet, that meant, I don't know, 10,000 guys. They heard, 300 trumpets. They heard this loud noise. Everything breaking, right? And then guess what happens? This light is shining in the darkness. This trumpet is blowing. They see these lights storming down the hill. 300 trumpets blowing. And they're like, dude. They think there's hundreds of thousands of people coming down the hill. There's 300 guys. This was great wisdom. God is the one who gave it to him to know as these guys were coming from all directions. And look how these, this mighty army responded. Verse 21, and every man stood in his place all around the camp. Uh, they just stood up. They didn't know what to do. They were petrified. Why? Because God's on our side. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. 135,000 guys are running away from 300. Don't you love it? I would have loved, can you imagine they're coming down the hill and they see this on and they're like, ah, they're just running away. And there's 300 guys. Sometimes I envision it in other ways. I envision like a, you know, a four-year-old with a, a, you know, a stick chasing a, a, you know, the San Francisco 49ers or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> a little kid and they're like, ah, they're running away. I mean, this is just that ridiculous. You got 300 guys coming down a hill on 135,000 guys scared to death all running away. You know Why? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to notice something. Earthen vessels, the pitchers, when they were broken, what happened? Light shone out. You and I are earthen vessels. When we are broken before God, His light shines through us. Amen? It's exactly what's happening here. Verse 22, we're almost done. 
When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. They were so twisted, they thought some of the people in the camp were the enemy because they thought there was hundreds of thousands of them, and they started killing each other. So far, what have the children of Israel done? They've blown a trumpet, and they're holding a torch that was in a pitcher, and their enemy's killing each other. And the rest of them are running away. It says there, against the companions throughout the whole camp, and the army fled from Beth Acacia towards Zerar, as far as the border of Abel, Mahola, by Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered together at Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Isn't it amazing how all of a sudden some people want to get involved in the battle? Where were you guys? You were the guys who all went home earlier. Who's afraid? Me. I'm out of here. They didn't even come the first 32,000, a lot of these guys, but now the battle's being won, and they want to be a part of it. And you know what? That's okay. Because God's heart would be that men would get involved. And may we step up so others will see the greatness of our God. 300 men were chasing 135,000. You know what I find interesting? In Deuteronomy 32, Moses assured Israel if they would obey the Lord, one soldier would chase 1,000 and two would put 10,000 to flight. If you do the math, you know how many guys he needed? 27. So 300 was too many. Because it says there two will put 10,000 to flight. Right? If God is on our side, He can do great and awesome things. Last two verses. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. These guys were fleeing to the south. When 135,000 guys are running away to the south, at some point as they're running, they got to get water. And he says, you guys come down and guard where all the watering places are. And when they come to get the water, kill them. So that's what happened. They're running away and they're guarding the watering places. And those who came to them, they took care of. And they captured two princes, last verse, of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. And Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Now what's interesting about this, Oreb and Zeb mean raven and wolf. And I believe that their names were probably given to them because of the kind of guys they were. They were vicious. But you know what? Men will be vicious for a while, but God's judgment will come. But you know what I like about this story? Where do we first find Gideon? Where was he hiding? In a wine press. And now we see the prince of Midian being killed where? In a wine press. You know, God's word just rocks. That's all there is to it. One guy is hiding, and now God's using him, and now the prince is the one who was hiding out and dies in the wine press. And then it says there, they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. You know, I'm thinking that's probably not a gift I want, but bringing some heads back. Here's a, free, here's a gift for you. So they bring the heads back. Now the church today, we can learn from this event and be encouraged. God doesn't need large numbers or especially gifted leaders to fulfill His purposes. Did you hear what I said? God doesn't need massive numbers to fulfill His purposes. He doesn't need big buildings or big budgets or big marketing programs. You know what He needs more than anything else? Just people who are broken and desperate before Him. That's what He can use to turn the world right side up. Amen? We think we're going to use man's ways to reach people for the Lord when instead we ought to just be in love with Him. 300 chased 135,000. 300 people in this church can reach 135,000 for His kingdom. So in closing, small enough for God to use, learning to live by faith. Number one, God tests our faith. He takes away our resources that we need to, to trust in ourselves alone so that we might trust in Him. Number two, He encourages our faith that we might overcome the fear and struggles that we have. And then thirdly, he honors our faith. He gave Gideon wisdom and courage, and in the end, a fruitful victory. And as you and I step out in faith, God will do the same. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you will use a, a man who starts off in hiding, a man who's cowardice in the beginning, and you turn him into a courageous man. A man who asks again and again and again to know your heart and know your will and you graciously show it to him over and over and over. 
Lord, what an encouragement that should be to all of us. Lord, that even if we don't respond the first time, you still desire to minister truth to us and use us for your kingdom. Father, I do pray for the the county of Santa Cruz. Lord, I pray that we would be salt and light here. Give us divine appointments and opportunities that as we are broken, that the light of who you are would shine through us and impact the world around us. May we trumpet the truth of your gospel to a world that so desperately needs you. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.